it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to Stramash, the Scottish NFL podcast. We are approaching episode 250, but we're not there yet. We're at the halfway mark of the season, but we're not there yet. No, we are at the halfway. That, that didn't work. Uh, joining me this evening to talk about everything that's been going on, your nominations, as well as your team's suggested name for their version of the Touche Push. Mm, I'm excited to read some of these. I'm joined by Paul Mitchell, Gordon McGuinness, and holy shit, Charles Parson. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, and we're going to mix things up Holy a little shit. bit. That's a bit Holy mean. shit, it's Charles Pratt. Where have you it. been? You've been sworn. Last time I was on, the, the world's gone to fucking hell in a handcart since I came on last. You've been to America <laughs> and I get, um, I turn my phone on and I find a picture of you in a thong sitting next to a fire with a glass of whiskey. By the way, every single person who validated that has got it coming for them uh, in January, <laughs> big time. Yeah, Utterly another reason disturbing. to join. It's not yeah, a another, definitely not a reason, reason to, join to join the Patreon. The Patreon. <laughs> right, this week we're mixing things up a little bit because it is the halfway mark of the season. Uh, Gordon McGuinness, you've written an article for PFF, which is fascinating. It's free. You can read it. You can see what he's got to say. But it's the half-term awards. And I think what we'll do is we'll go through. First of all, Gordon, you can tell us who won an award. And then I think that gives us all an opportunity to pitch in with some of our alternative suggestions. And you can shoot us down one by one. You like doing it anyway, so we might as well line it up. Sounds good to me. Right, let's start at the top, because obviously the the award that everyone cares about is the MVP. This is the one that's going to be the most juicy-juicy. I'm assuming that you gave this to Christian McCaffrey, but... Of course. Of course. Yep. I should, should also clarify, because... MVP is going to make it seem like I'm a massive homer, which obviously I am, but it's not the reason. This was not just my award. This was also my colleagues. It was a roundtable discussion, and everyone was kind of split, but overall went Lamar Jackson. The other two Massive were, homer. The other two were Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen were the other names that were that were floating. Really? Jo- so okay. Josh I, Allen? The Josh Allen thing is... When did you have this meeting in September? No, this week. Josh Allen's playing well. The Bills, the Bills are not, but Josh, the Bills would probably have three wins if not for Josh Allen. Okay, okay. Um, he has been off color for about three weeks. They, I, I mean, they need to let him run more. He's not running the ball enough. Like, and this is like Lamar he's Jackson. Been, I mean, he's been passing it okay. But but he's a but, good runner though, right? Like Lamar Jackson, it was this whole big new offense, and he is throwing the ball more, and he's throwing the ball better, all that stuff. But he's still mm. running the ball. Like Josh Allen is running the ball nowhere near as much as he used to. At least it feels that way. You know, if I'm wrong, our Bills fans will correct us. Um, he just needs to run the ball more. I'm going to ask the question that so many people ask: Why does it always have to be a quarterback? Uh, because the word valuable. Um, well. That that's the thing, and it it generally ends up being a quarterback for that reason. But I think that there's scope to argue that Christian McCaffrey is the most valuable player on the on the Niners. And if the Niners hadn't gone into a slump last three weeks, then a slump he would be a it's viable. Like, he would be like, a, well a slide. Sorry, a, a complete a, a cataclysmic collapse, a cataclysmic void. Has it not um, heightened his mean, valuableness to the team because no. he's been a bit banged up, and then they've gone down. Maybe it's because he's not there. It shows he's more valuable than the quarterback. The, the, is. the whole concept of the MVP, like many 
awards is ultimately flawed. It's it has good meaning, but it is flawed. Um, the it's like the the offensive player of the year award is flawed. I think the def- defensive player of the year award is pretty straightforward. Um, but the last defensive player to win MVP was Lawrence Taylor, correct? Um, it's never going to happen again because there's this obsession, and I've talked about this before in this podcast, is obsession with quarterbacks. It's and not, the quarterback, okay, is the most important. It's the an, is, it is an obsession is, the because there are, look, look, it is valuable, what, but what you, is can more, be a, you can more, be a shit quarterback and still get to the Super Bowl. What, what is more valuable, a £5 note or a £10 note, right? You'll get yeah, ones that's that are a, more battered up than others. You'll Totally, get completely different it, argument. It's, it's not, though, because you cannot win the Super Bowl consistently. Just look at all the teams that have won the Super Bowl recently. How often do you win the Super Bowl without good quarterback play? Rarely. But it has Joe happened. Flacco, right? Carson Wentz, he was oh, phenomenal. He Carson was Wentz. great. That he wasn't. Season. He wasn't phenomenal, and he won't be in the Hall of Fame. So there we go. Let me let me let me suggest some sorry, suggestions. No, no, other than if we if we are pretending that Joe Flacco wasn't incredible in the playoffs in 2012, he was. He wasn't the playoffs. He wasn't the playoffs. We talked way season, too much. It wasn't too, him that got you there. We too. What we talk way too much on this podcast about Baltimore and the Homer that is Gordon McGinnis. Let me throw a couple of others in the mix non-quarterback as well in there AJ Brown off the charts last three four five weeks in fact is just getting better and better every every time I watch him what about Tua he's got the most yards in the league he's got the most touchdowns he's got the highest quarterback rating in the league AJ Brown AJ Brown I think has a has a case and I think like in a season whereby there isn't a quarterback that's massively stretching the you know making it a thing that it's like oh this guy's the front runner I think you can have some of those conversations. I think AJ Brown has been a huge, huge player for the Eagles. Tua, one, uh, they can't beat good teams. Yes, that's a very important part. Two, yep. how much of that production is actually because he's got Tyreek Hill and people to throw to. And Tyreek Hill was another one I was going to throw in there, who's on pace for two thousand yards. Yes. Um, if before he hadn't, before he got injured, you could have chucked Kirk Cousins into the mix. Who's been Absolutely. playing? Who was playing brilliantly? Well, you got and injured, so that's why he's here's, here's a total curveball for you. And I forgot. Actually, I was just looking at his stats there. N- through nine games or eight games, one res- one interception. CJ Stroud, hundred and two point nine. So, Dan Orlovsky had CJ Stroud in there as well. The reason why I wouldn't have so the the interception total is very very misleading to the point of so one of the things we track at PFFs turnover worthy plays. Josh Allen and C.J. Stroud have the same number of turnover-worthy plays through the first half of this season. Josh Allen has nine interceptions. C.J. Stroud has one. So this was the same as the Brock Purdy thing, right? A quarter of the way into the season, a lot of talking heads were talking about Brock Purdy MVP. His turnover-worthy play rate was basically what it was over the next four games where everything fell apart and he started throwing interceptions. It's just that, that was a ridiculous chat, even for me. Like, that's a ridiculous... It was always ridiculous. Cameron, Cameron, don't worry. Brock Purdy's still got the second-highest quarterback rating in the league. So... <laughs> <laughs> I would say just to just to close on this from my perspective, I think the fact that we're talking about so many names shows that there is not an outstanding player in the league at the moment, and I think that that illustrates the way in which I don't think offenses have been that good this year. Frankly, apart from Miami, they're the only offense at times that you could say have been dominant. I think offenses have struggled a bit, and that's because we're obsessed with quarterbacks. Therefore actually defences are playing a bit better and therefore we don't have an outstanding candidate at the moment. We're also seeing an awful lot of uh, rookie quarterbacks. Like the... Uh, and backups. 
Yeah. Yeah, a lot of injured quarterbacks. Yeah. I think yeah. Gordon's, you know, I was interested in, in Gordon's assessment because I think we get too caught up by numbers alone. Tua is the only quarterback in the top five for passing yards and passer rating. He heads both of them. Um, as far as I can tell, Lamar Jackson hasn't passed 2,000 yards. Derek Carr has. For example, his passer rating isn't in the top five. So I think you're right. You've got to go beyond the statistics and look at the impact that the player has on the team. And I think that's that's the key thing. I think statistics can be so misleading, uh, probably second to VR and things that I absolutely hate. Um, and it is interesting. I think if you look at teams that are overperforming where we thought they would be, I think Baltimore is one of them. If you look at the division they're in, tough division. And if you look at the impact that Lamar personally is having, I'd love to argue with you, Gordon, on your choice, but I actually can't. There we go. Love it. I I I don't dis- I know I don't I don't disagree with that. I, think me. I I would be more upset if Mahomes was in there because I feel like by his own standards he's dropped. Um the the the, the Chiefs don't look as much of a threat. They're still the Chiefs, they're still a huge threat, they're still their a deep, contender. Is better than it's ever been. Yeah. Mahomes and the white. I don't know how much of it is Mahomes really taking a massive step back as maybe a small one, and they don't have wide receivers right now. They've got Travis yes. Kelsey, and that's it. Yeah, and I mean, all it takes... If I genuinely feel if Kelsey was to go injured, um, that's the, he's as impactful as Mahomes going injured. Like, genuinely, the two of them are tied in that sense. Yeah. Uh, so, fine. We'll, we'll give you Lamar. Um, we'll see what it is. It's close. I'll, I'll also say I don't think he will win MVP by the end of the season because the second half of the year of the Ravens' schedule is really tough. So, I, I don't think he's going to be as good the second half of the year, and I think other players are going to be better the second half of the year. So, I don't think he'll win it. Hypothetically, if it wasn't to, if it wasn't a quarterback, and it's not going to be a quarterback this year, was the script that the NFL put out uh, when they released their script at the start of the season. Um, what player position? I'm not going to commit you to a player. What position do you think it would be if it wasn't a quarterback? Receiver. I, I'll commit to a player though, Miles Garrett. So a defensive end. I'm trying yeah. to think what's the most valuable contribution after the quarterback. And is it the defensive end? It's, it's or probably, defensive... turn, it's probably yeah. turnovers. So it's like you're either a sacking, forcing fumbles, or interceptions if you have a high number. A sauce gardener, like a, a cornerback yeah. type thing. Yeah, okay, but it wouldn't win fine. the votes, though. That's the problem. It's the receivers that win yes. the votes. Uh, yeah. I agree. I mean, Gino Stone's had six interceptions. I think AJ Brown, for again, if you're looking at impact, we all expect Tyreek Hill to do what he's doing. Um, but AJ Brown, I think, has come in slotted and, and he's just had some monster games and has been arguably in two or three of those games the most valuable player for his team. So, you know, but it's always going to go to a quarterback no matter what. It's a bit dull, but that's what yeah. happens. Ever, I mean, the last time we, it's what, 2012 was Adrian Peterson, um, Ladanian. Tomlinson mm. was before that, I think. I can't remember what year. I 2006. Couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you a non-quarterback to win before that, but probably the year before. <laughs> I just can't remember. Well, Sean Alexander um, won it one year, didn't he? So for when he was playing for Seattle about the same time and they got oh. to the Super Bowl. And that's the, the, that's the thing. You know, that was a different era when, you know, running backs... Dominated. That's when they would have their heyday. Their heyday. Yeah. When they were valued by people on podcasts. This is their nady. Um, so there you go. Um, right. Who gets your defensive 
uh, player of the year, but I was Garrett. Spoiler Garrett. alert, you've already let that one slip. Uh, other names in the mix there, I guess. Would it be one someone at the Jets? TJ, TJ Watt. Uh, TJ Watt's had a great season so far, too. Yeah. I, I, I think Watt is probably fifth on defensive ends or edge defenders this season so far. I think the sack numbers are great. I don't think he does it consistently enough. Like You're getting a call from Johnny Bailey about that. I, I, I've already... I've already told him in the in the chat that it's not mm. him. I I would have Max Crosby. Um, yep. I would have uh, I would have Nick Bosa, whose sack numbers aren't there, but overall he's playing really really well. Dexter Lawrence of the Giants probably should be in with a shout here as well. He's a nose tackle that generates pressure, like a like two hundred eighty pound three technique defensive tackle. So those guys I think are in with a shout. Geno Stone as much as he's leading the NFL in interceptions is not a defensive player of the year candidate. Like if you watch some of the interceptions he's got, it's comedic overthrows by quarterbacks. Like he's playing well to go and find the ball, but it's not like it's not like he's Ed reading his heyday whereby he reads the quarterback's eyes and is, you know, breaking on a ball or anything like that. What about Hunter of Minnesota? I mean, is it three fumbles, ten sacks? He's gotta be in good, you know, good he's gotta be well. in the conversation. Yeah. Um Next nomination up then is it the rookie of the year? You know, offensive, CJ Stroud, offensive player of the year, offensive, oh, offensive player of the year. Yes, and then would that not be Lamar? Offensive no, award of the year, typically. Yeah, no, it's not normally. It's normally so. That's normally this like MVP is pretty much these days anyway. The last decade, it's quarterback. Um, offensive player is normally not. So it's like running back or receiver, and I think Tyreek Hill just now. But AJ Brown is right there. It's oh, McCaffrey. McCaffrey's, McCaffrey's in, in with a shout as well. But uh, Tyreek Hill has, and and they're all three of those guys are on pace to potentially break single season records, right? Like scrimmage yards for McCaffrey. Don't think I don't know if he's quite on pace for scrimmage yards anymore. He's on. Is he still not on his consecutive touchdown scoring run? Yes, he is. It's the most pointless stat in the world. It's for... almost as pointless as that uh, Ravens unbeaten record in preseason, isn't it? Yes. Why is that a pointless stat? <laughs> I think you're getting away from stats. I, I'd just like to see what McCaffrey could do in a good team. That, <laughs> that would be interesting to me. Mm. A, team, a team whose uh, sphincter has not entirely collapsed. In <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've not even talked about the trades. Uh, did you even talk about it last week with Chase Young? It's a tasty Buckeye line. I, I I I don't buy it as a much of a game changer. If I'm being honest, I do, I genuinely don't. I mean, it's the kind of he's, thing that the Niners he's do really but well this year. I, 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 how much of a difference though? It's not the in, weak point. In, that's in, the problem. I, well, that's the thing for me. I don't think that that's what they're looking for. You've taken a four-star line and made it a 4.5-star line rather yeah. than taking a two-star secondary and trying to make it even a three-star secondary. Well, they could have, so. hey, they could have traded for Rasul Douglas, which is what the Bills did, not to help the Bills at the weekend. But why aren't you trying to fix your weak point? Don't know. Genuinely, I was the same thing. I was like, oh, what a player. Would have loved it if he was a cornerback, but we'll come back to that, I'm sure, at some point. Not that, um, not that Green Bay would have traded with San Francisco so anyway, but there we go. Hell, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Hell, Brown, uh, Mahomes, McCaffrey. Mahomes. Uh, who Was there anyone else in that conversation at all? Not really. It? Not at this moment in time. 
And I think rookie of the year, I think it's CJ Stroud by a landslide. And the only person in with a shout um, is Pukunakua, really. Yes. Um, and they've both been terrific, but he's a quarterback, so he's going to get the highlight reel. So, and do you know what? If you're Carolina, you're sitting there going, shit, what have we done? <laughs> I, I, I. It's too think... early. It's just too it early. It is too early, but you're still sitting there going, oh, dear. <laughs> it's, all, it's too early. And also, you have to look at what they have around them. Um, like the system that CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud's played really well. And CJ Stroud's definitely played significantly better than Bryce Young. And there, there definitely will be people that are a little bit like, oh, shit, did we take the wrong player? But uh, D'Amico Ryan's brought Bobby Sloak in with him. It's a kind of San Francisco style offense that gets players open, and Stroud has taken advantage of that. If you watch the Panthers' offense, it's horrible all around Bryce Young as well. I think it's very difficult to expect a ton there for him. Um, the bigger concern for the Panthers is possibly did they make the wrong choice at head coach? Because it's not looking particularly good. Offensive rookie of the year, then. Uh, Stroud. I thought I my connection cut, so I, when I came back, I thought that's what we're talking about. No. <laughs> so I think I worried it was my connection. I think you and Paul froze at the same time briefly oh, there. Nice. <laughs> it's like so. You say nice. I was just I was left with just cows. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep rolling. Somewhere sort of on the clock here. Come on. Um, so, okay, offensive rookie of the year, uh, Stroud. I'm trying to think of that. Uh, Pukunakua must have been in that conversation. Yeah. I, someone asked this in our um, Patreon chat earlier, which you should, the, the the best reason to sign up for that is because we have a really good WhatsApp group. And mm. someone asked about Nakua. And pretty much every other year, I think he would have been right in with a shot at this point in the year. But Stroud looks really, really good for a rookie quarterback. So it's very difficult to give it to anyone else. Uh, defensive rookie of the year? This one I think is closer. Um, I went Jalen Carter. Um, I think just what he's done in the middle of that Eagles defensive line has been pretty scary. Um, probably wouldn't have fallen and lasted to the ninth pick if it hadn't been for some of the stuff that happened pre-draft. Um but he's been he's been really good. Um, Devin Witherspoon as well. You can make the case for him. Brian Branch in Detroit. Good good year for defensive rookies, I think. Yeah, has Will Anderson done much? Yeah, he's been good. He's done stuff, but has he lived up to his hype? Mm, like he's pretty close to it, I think. Okay, fine, fine. Yeah, it feels like Carter is ahead. Witherspoon's done decent. Feels like that whole Seahawks defense is. Had a bit of a step up, but then they got ripped to pieces by the Ravens at the weekend and really didn't show up. So yeah. Weatherspoon Weatherspoon had a horrible game as well. Like he got ran over by Gus Edwards at one point in that oh, so rough, when, rough outing. Gus is just like a a light slightly lighter Derek Henry when he gets going. Like I feel like that comes through more and more. It's like uh Henry light, but anyway, yeah, fine. Okay. Any other awards that you gave out? Or is yes. that the full set? No, there's two. So two others. One first one coach of the year. Uh yep. I went I went Dan Campbell with the Lions. Good for you. Like 
you can so I think as well you could take it a different you, there's a few different ways you could go with this Seriani with the Eagles as much as mm. it might seem boring because of how good they were last year as well they've been really good again but the thing I'm most impressed with with Dan Campbell is for all the whole biting kneecap stuff and like big tough football player macho stuff he's actually like a pretty advanced coach when it comes to like fourth down decisions and stuff like that and going for it in those situations. I, th- I think the Lions have been the most aggressive team in the NFL. So it's really quite interesting to get a football guy who has kind of embodying that as well. Uh, Zach Taylor get any love given Not the sort of turnarounds there? Like uh, very easy to to keep the brakes off. Like that 27-3 game against the Titans, it felt like, geez, they are just in trouble here. But obviously four games in the in a row that they've bounced back on. They've beaten the Bills, the Niners, the Seahawks, find the Cardinals. But certainly a clean sweep over the NFC West so far. As much credit as you want to give them. Well, in one, fact, they've got a full sweep over the NFC West. Yes, yeah. I, I don't know that that's that impressive. Um, no. <laughs> the As much credit as you can give Zach Taylor for the past four weeks, I think you have to give him some criticism for how ill-prepared they were. Like, Joe Burrow's injury happened early enough that they could have made some contingency plans at backup quarterback. They could have made some contingency plans around how they were going to play they just came into the season very unprepared for Burrow to not be healthy. Now that Burrow's back to being fully healthy, they're a Super Bowl contender again, and that's great. But that slow start might be the difference in them hosting a playoff game, the difference in them hosting the AFC Championship game, all those different things. So I think you need to criticise him a little bit for that. Fair enough, fair enough. I think Dan Campbell's a really good shout on that one. Um, fine. Anyone else want to add anyone else? Paul, okay, doesn't, this, Paul doesn't want to add Dennis at Allen. This, at this, yeah, he's he's got a five hundred record. Paul, um, he's safe. He's safe. He's safe for another year. <laughs> I um, I'll be intrigued to see where the Steelers finish. If the Steelers get in the playoffs and get double digit wins, then you have to question the uh, how they possibly can do it with their I, offense. I, that's me every week. You know the meme from Breaking Bad where it's Aaron Paul and he's like screaming, he can't keep getting away with this. It's like Mike Tomlin dragging. He's they, they have a, incredible. If you if you flip every, if you flip the result of every one of their one possession games through the first uh, eight nine weeks of the season, they they wouldn't have a single win. And part of that is just good coaching. Kenny Pickett is not that good quarters one to three, but seems to have like a clutch gene. Um, whereby he can flip a switch and be really good. And I think in a lot of players, that's nonsense when they talk about it. Like, the the evidence is stacking up pretty highly that Kenny Pickett, when the lights are on in the fourth quarter, is pretty good. It's just typical Steelers team, though. Like, I I don't think they'll make the playoffs because I think the rest of the AFC is too strong. And I think you know, Bills... I don't know. At the moment, they might have only the, the one of the last quarterbacks standing with Pickett. Well, true. Stays, true. you know, if he stays afloat. I mean, you look at the Jets and the fact that the Jets have, you know, apart from Monday night when they obviously finally began to implode, for them to be at 500 at this point is pretty either bizarre or impressive, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, and I think that that, a lot, that does come down to the head coach who has yeah, got a defensive Sal, background. A good... And he's built, an, he's built a brilliant defense there. The problem is they got 
gazumped in the first game by um, Rogers Achilles. And it's, you know, I, I also think you look at what Jacksonville have done and Doug Peterson, I think that's, I think they've been terrific. I think they really have. And they've just kind of, they've gone on a bit of a roll. And I look forward to the game at the weekend against the Niners because that could be very, very interesting for both teams. Cameron is yep. fighting himself. Absolutely. The right. beginning of the end. <laughs> La- last award. Let me have a rant. I did say 2024 would be our year, not this year. <laughs> we replaced the quarterback. We win it next year. <laughs> right. The last award should be a relatively obvious one. And this highlights like how much I hate social media. So I make a point. Anything, if I tweet anything like an article that gets retweeted by our our main account is like one point three million followers. So you do that, lots of people see it, and people are arseholes to you. So uh, I'm muted immediately when they tweeted out my awards list. Comeback player of the year is relatively cut and dry for obvious reasons. It's Demar Hamlin, right? Yeah. Like, so Dolphins fans were quite upset that it wasn't Tua. Tua has come back from a lot, and in any other year, two would be the correct choice here. A Dolphins fan uh, replied and said, a goddamn QB in MVP conversation was told to never play again by some medical professionals less than a year ago. People need to stop doing the participation trophy shit. I didn't reply to him, so he then followed up <laughs> 20 minutes later. I would love to hear the counter-argument, though. I still can't understand why voters and media think he is comeback player of the year because there is, and this is my favourite bit, there is no logical reason. The man almost died on the football yeah, field yeah. and is back on an NFL roster. Like, I know he's not playing significant snaps on defense, but like the context is really important. And and if, if anyone out there wants to say, look, I think it's Tua, and I think it's Tua because the level he's come back to when he was told he should maybe stop playing again, happy to say that I think that's a fair argument. I would disagree. If you're going to tell me there's no logical reason for the guy who almost died on the field last year to become back player of the year, I'm disregarding whatever else you have to say about anything. Wholeheartedly agree with everything you just yeah. said. Kind of like Christian Eriksen when he came back, an absolutely sensational story. Wasn't yeah. it's a great story? Was, I... But it's the celebration of him even yeah. having the balls to suit up again. Like I can't even imagine what goes through his head. I just, I just think that someone... the the award though it, it doesn't do what what we've just talked about justice though it's a stupid award i think it always has been always will be because there's some years you get a guy who was crap one year and then he comes back and plays the next so there's no context they should get they should get rid of it frankly and actually base it on context and just give out a special merit award of some description that would be what i would suggest but what do i know that to your point gordon it's almost like they could change it to like social media content story of the year or something like that, like a heartwarming story of the year or something like that. And you could still then give it to somebody who's turned their career around if there's no significant injury comebacks. But the comeback element of it just makes it open to interpretation. And then yes. that is an issue. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Anyone else got anything to add? No. Okay, let's go on to this week's Belter. There's only three nominations, uh, as in like three different names nominated. There's one three nominations. Um, There is a fourth one, but it's not really a nomination. We'll get to that. In fact, let's start there, because we'll come back to it. Uh, Jason has uh, uh, one of our resident Bills fans. His Belter is... Sorry, sorry. Before you do this rant, 
I need to highlight, we often talk about the greatest rivalries in the NFL, and people talk Bears-Packers, they talk Ravens-Steelers, Vikings-Packers, 49ers-Seahawks. The greatest rivalry in the NFL this season are Bills fans versus our embargo in the Patreon chat. (laughs) The only two times this year the embargo has been broken in that chat, and the embargo is very simple. Please don't talk about primetime games late night games yeah yeah like talk about any other game and once we get the playoffs i think it'll be all fair game all that stuff please don't there's lots of us that work on a monday morning we like to get up and watch it that's fine the only fan base and it's because their team has been shite the two times it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah indeed uh although J- jason was not guilty of one of those at least uh he he simply just says there's nothing worth nominating the world is coming to an end we'll come to his rant in a bit uh, there is one nomination for Antonio Pierce, uh, a near perfect week for the interim head coach, picking up the pieces from another Josh McDaniels mess. The locker room looks completely united and the basic changes on the pitch resulted in an easy win, even if it was against a terrible Giants side. Um, hang on, hang on. That's Paul Baggery. I'm, I'm fed up with players getting rid of coaches and then all of a sudden they're fit to win a game. Let's let's look at a couple of things. One, St. Johnson Johnson just did that. It, <laughs> it, it happens all the time. Oh, we're so <laughs> sorry to see him go and oh, we should have performed better. Get out of here. They were playing the Giants as well. I mean, come on. It might have had a positive impact, but you can't tell well, off the back of, course, of that week. Of course, he, well, okay. it's less about him having a positive impact and just how negative an impact I, the guy who I, left was. Do you know what yeah, I really well, look I'll, forward I'll to? I'll accept that as more. I look yeah. forward to, Paul, your next commentary of a game when um, a manager has been sacked and you cover the, the team's next game and they win 4-0 and then you essentially slaughter all the players that have just won 4-0, essentially for being shite bags, for giving up on the previous manager <laughs> and saying, it's and that fucking is great threw that guy into the dirt and then they've turned up the following week it's just awful wouldn't be the <laughs> first time to listen to that wouldn't be the first time and also i'm the other way i tend to get managers sacked and then don't do the game of the first person just to give them a break <laughs> the paul the grim reaper mitchell last last season it was incredible i got rid of so many managers jim goodwin amongst them um, yeah, I did the last well, games of so many managers it was incredible I have at least one to thank you for um, oh my screen went there uh, the other nomination there are three nominations for Josh Dobbs Peter Coyne says to come in without a single practice be working on snap cadence on the sideline give up a safety and then lead your team to win is absolutely insane super harsh on Stroud but he'll get another chance Dobbs' career peak was on Sunday you have to assume uh, Alex Beaton says it's just a great story uh, and Paul Marnie comes in as well just to talk about the fact that you know practically goes from the plane to the bench and then is thrown into the mix due to Jaron Hall's injury only to go and lead them to a last minute win over the detestable Arthur Smith glorious why do people hate Arthur Smith so much uh, because people play fantasy football and they drafted a running back in the top Bijan 10 Robinson. and then decide Ar- Arthur Smith had a quote this week which was uh, his work away from the ball uh, opens things up for us on offense. Arthur Smith, ha- he has to be. At, at times, I hope it's a bit. I don't think it is. I think it's just obviously the way he coaches. 
but you've got Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, all high draft picks and skill position players, and that man is scheming up every fucking touch he can for John o. Smith at tight end, and I love it. It's great. And then when they ask him questions in the press conference, you can almost see the wry smile. It's almost like he's taking great pleasure in this. That's why people hate Arthur Smith. He also wore a Scotland flag um, and has connections to Scotland when the, all the people were wearing flags. I didn't know he had a connection to Scotland, but he no does. Idea. And he wore the flag. So we love him here at Stramash. Yeah. We should find out. We should find out what, um, what his connection is. What his connection yeah. is. Yes. And then I'm we sure should praise him look. for his shitebaggery. His, <laughs> his dad's the uh, the FedEx guy. So I wonder if that's... wonder if the... The guy who founded FedEx had any. Was a Scottish, probably, yeah. probably. We've we created everything else in the world, um, and then every other one, of course, CJ Stroud. Seventeen nominations or so we've got there. Um, there's there's so much can be said here. Uh, Lee says I'm not a Texans fan, but I'm looking forward to seeing his career progressing. Cognitive tests don't tell the whole story. Amazing performance and final drive from the rookie, says Brian Dando. Unbelievable performance from the rookie who looks to have hit the rookie of the year, who looks to have the rookie of the year award won already. Special mention to the Texans running back, Dari Ogunbowale, hitting his first field goal by a non-kicker since 2004. Well done. That is outstanding pronunciation. Is that, that clean, right? that is that was, actually correct? That was. Let's correct? give him one, Gordon, because it's the only one you'll get all year. <laughs> well done. You pronounced that. You obviously practiced that in the toilet this afternoon. Genuinely didn't. <laughs> I'm just trying to focus on what I'm actually saying. Uh, but g- genuinely, a really good performer from CJ Stroud. There's somebody saw something because he broke uh, Andrew Luck's rookie record as well. Oh, yeah. Kenny Law says the final drive would have been enough for the belter itself, but overall, 30 completions, 470 passing yards, five passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, including beating Andrew Luck's rookie passing uh, record of 433 yards. Just an overall belting performance from a belting game. That that final drive, it's CJ Stroud's a belter, D'Amico Ryan's is a belter, Bobby Sloak's a belter, Tank Dell. Like, they have turned that franchise around so quickly. With and not it, that many pieces, like it is. Nope. The, it's the opposite. Well, of they had a good few picks. They have had Vegas. quite a few picks. Yes, I know, but they've, not they've, an they've offense. Picked well, they have picked well. I mean, Nico Collins was always regarded as a decent receiver, and then they've obviously drafted Damian Pierce. They've got that. Um, they already had the left tackle in place, and Tank Dell's been a brilliant pick. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, but they were beginning. You know, they were loading up on picks, and they used. You know, they obviously had two which they've used very well. And so they're also playing in the AFC South. So I think there is a little bit of that too, which is not the strongest division. Although, you know, we'll see how it pans out. I'll be interested to see how many wins they get between now and the end of the season and whether Stroud drops off a bit. Because I think he's been largely cocooned and protected within the system. What's what's really funny though is how quickly the, the narrative moves in the NFL. Like the previous week, he was outplayed by Bryce Young as the Panthers won the only game they've won this year. Like, after all the talk about how, oh, you've you know, made a mistake drafting Bryce Young over Stroud, Stroud didn't look good in that game at all. And then he goes into the next game and not just puts up the stats, but also, like, that that game-winning drive. It The fascinating thing that I I think I'm, I've decided that this is where I land on quarterbacks when it comes to the draft. We've seen it now with Stroud, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen... 
probably other quarterbacks in there as well, who they're not consistent in college. They have up and down years, but they do show you enough high level talent that if you get them in the right system, it's going to work in the NFL. Justin Herbert's final season at Oregon was not good. Josh Allen's final season at Wyoming wasn't good. Stroud really only had that Georgia game in the playoffs. But like, if you see enough of that high-level play with a quarterback and you can get them in the right system, then it can all come together rather nicely. Yeah, some oh. of that, though, Gordon, is playing time. It, you know, the, the better quarterbacks that have come out of this tended to have, whether it's been great, as you say, they weren't great seasons, but they've tended to have playing time and snaps. And I think that sometimes comes as much more important. Any other than CJ Stroud? We just give him the belt and move on. Uh, Stroud has to be. Fine. Excellent. We have a unanimous decision on that one. And we'll move on to picking the rest of the players around him in our team of the week. To do this, I'm going to be aided by something that you don't get at Ibrox. Can anyone tell me what that is? Penalty. An Aberdeen pen. So there we go. Right. Um... The quarterback is clearly CJ Stroud. God. What line is he behind? <laughs> Charles might just leave the call now. Um I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a homer here again, but uh the Ravens allowed three pressures and ran for almost three hundred yards. The only reason they didn't run for three hundred yards is because they took a kneel down at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um and even then they took Jackson out. Yep. So it's mental, mental. Right. Uh, any advance on the Ravens? No, that's fine. None of us really watch the lines, do we? No, no. Fine, okay. Tight end. He's got he's got his Ravens bit in there, so it's he's fine. Got his Ravens. He can't might, pick I another have, Raven. I might have another one coming. No, I you're not allowed. Not, not a tight end. You can't. There's got to be context. So tight end. Who do we think? Taysom Hill, because he got me loads of fantasy points. I'm just going to say that to annoy everybody, including <laughs> no, Taysom Hill, first NFL player in 59 years, 10 passing touchdowns, 10 receiving touchdowns, and 10 rushing touchdowns. Taysom Hill. There you go. Man's a, man's a genius. Play him at quarterback. <laughs> Play him anywhere. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Dalton Schultz had 130 yards at tight end. To be fair, it should be him. But we've already given too much love to the Texans. We like to spread it around on this podcast. <laughs> um, the <laughs> Dalton Schultz is a very good answer, but I do think mm. Taysom Hill had a massive contribution to that uh, game, and I think he did do very well. He he played running back. He played quarterback. Oh, put he him played in a running back. Tight end. So <laughs> I, I, <laughs> running back. I, give Dalton Schultz the fullback. Uh, the the tight end role, and then we're sorted. Everyone's a winner. I should point out that the Saints, yet again, were shit. Yes. So, ju- just in case anybody's thinking, because they won the game, they might be not. What right happens if now. they continue to be shit and end up twelve and five? Well, well, they're in a shit division. But I've told you that he's got uh-huh, But are you going to be happy state. in January? Are you actually going to even turn up they're in not, January for not our just, Christmas do with a smile on your face? They're not just the oh, shit we're twelve and five. We're really conference. <laughs> no, I won't be happy. I'm never happy. Move on. Yeah, yeah fine. Um, so watch out, managers of the SPFL. Here comes we're, Mitchell. <laughs> we're keeping up our run of having a T Hill in the team every single week, but it's Taysom this week just to mix it up. Who are, are who's the running back for this one? Obviously, Gus Edwards is going to be in that. No, no, it's not. It's going to be Mitchell. Yeah, it's Mitchell. No, and yeah. not Paul. 
Keaton, Edwards might have been the uh, might have been up there as well, but Mitchell. Is... I would. I would. I'm going to be a homer. Here's one for you. I'm going to throw Aaron Jones in the mix because he's the single reason that the Packers won. <laughs> he fumbled the ball. Average. Charles, yeah. could you let? Could you let Gordon one yards per carry? Three point one yards per carry, and you're trying to put him in the team with it. That's. That's Homer Simpson. That's just absolutely painting yourself yellow. It's, it's, it's far better than some of the crap that you've come out with over the last three weeks when I've not been here. <laughs> he was about to say Mitchell was brilliant, which I was then going to cut out and use his Maranto <laughs> message. And you stopped him. Sorry, sorry. Everyone, silence, please. Silence. No, that's fine. I'm done. I'm done. Mitchell was brilliant. Uh, Keith Mitchell, though, he, the Ravens offense need, needed that like home run hitter at running back. Gus Edwards is good but lacks that kind of final burst. Keaton Mitchell walks in, has a 40-yard touchdown, has another 60-yard run, undrafted free agent out of East Carolina. Yep. I I think it's fair. It's done really well. Keaton Mitchell, what a game. What, three wide receivers then? AJ Brown. So I... Plug him in. Have, I wouldn't have AJ Brown this week. I would no. just plug him in. I think by his own week, he was fairly quiet. Like, he only had 66 yards. 66 yards and a touchdown. Meh. We had C.D. Lamb at 191. Yeah, and they lost. Against that defense. And they lost. Like, it's and that's, a and that's defense. The, Well, I don't think... I, that defense is good, but I don't think it's great and hasn't been great. And I think that says, says a lot about Dak Prescott and it says a lot about the Cowboys is the we, fact that they could give C.D. Lamb the ball all day and they still couldn't win. And they tried to give them the game because they gave up as many fouls as they could on that final drive. And good Lord, like the Eagles absolutely wet the bed. And it was their game to have and Dak just couldn't do it in, under pressure. Uh, I think the, th- the thing about the thing about Brown, the, the thing about Brown at the moment, and fair enough, yes, you didn't have as many yards as he had the previous three or four weeks, is he is now, I mean, last year, if you recall, him and Devonta Smith were kind of on parallel in terms of their output and in terms of the way in which defences looked at them. He's now drawing double coverage the whole time, and yet he's still been producing ridiculous numbers. And, and yeah, so this week, a wee bit downer, and fair enough, the you know the Cowboys' defence is better than some that they've faced, but he was still incredibly impact- impactful, and that's why he is a case for certainly offensive player of the year. And you know, if we'd lived in a normal world, he would be a, a top five candidate for MVP. So, but yeah, move him on. <laughs> so I, I think it has to be CD Lamb because of the performance, right? And against the defense, because that's contextual as well. And I think for the same reason, Noah Brown has to be in there because that Tampa Bay defense isn't a mug but they were made to look so. The The question then is more around the third receiver. And then you could argue Amari Cooper, but it was against the Cardinals in a total blowout game. He did play well. Tank Dell gets in the conversation, but sure. T. Higgins didn't score a touchdown. If he did against Buffalo, then it might well have been him that was in there. And then it's a, it's, there's a whole of the tight ends in the mix there. Like Jake Ferguson, obviously, Johnny Smith had a great game. Deontay Johnson had a good game, obviously... Uh, he's, he's another game changer. He, he you know, as much as the, I think he, Johnson's another game changer for um, a team that is lacking in weapons, and suddenly, I mean, Pickett's Kenny Pickett. He's not been very good, but the fact he has two legitimately good receivers now instead of just the one, it actually just gives them more options. I fully expect Pittsburgh's. Um, offense to have fun this weekend. 
Um, Paul, your call. You can pick the third wide receiver because we're all bickering. Uh, nah. I mean, it's interesting. Nah. I, mean, I could go, I could go with this Chris Olave. This week we have two wide receivers because Paul refused to pick a third. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 can we pick a fullback? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could put a second tight end in there, to be fair. You could oh, put Jonu Smith in. Yeah, or Ferguson. Ferguson was a good player. And, or Schultz, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, that, you know what? that makes sense. Do Schultz so that you've got... some Hill and Schultz. Have, have Schultz at tight end and have this third one as like a flex position and we're giving it to Taysom Hill this week. All right, fine. Fine. The ultimate flex player. Yeah, Taysom Hill is this weird utility thing. Fine. Okay, team of the week is done. What a team. Uh, CJ Stroud at quarterback with Keaton Mitchell. He's running back uh, behind the Ravens line. He's got CD Lamb, Noah Brown, Taysom Hill as his utility belt, and Dalton Schultz as his tight end. Ah, what the hell happened in week nine? I'm, ju- I'm just going to say that's that's the worst team of the week we've had yet. Until ever. Like if, ever. If we had to field that team against anyone else. That team it. is going 1 in 16. <laughs> They still, they still beat the Giants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Maybe two and fifteen then, right? Okay, so let's turn our attentions to something else now. We'll take a little break in the middle here because there's been some coverage about uh, rugby coach Richie Gray, who's been offering some consultancy to the Philadelphia Eagles. Hmm, I wonder where that could have come out. But anyway, um, Jimmy Borthwick was able to spend some time with him earlier on today. This is what he had to say. Right. Well, I am absolutely delighted that uh, we're joined by Richie Gray on Stramashi uh, Scottish NFL podcast. Today, Richie, you've uh, you've you've been having your name out there a fair bit about uh, your your work in the NFL. I wonder if you can just talk to us about how you first uh, got involved with the league, um, your consultancy, coaching, and equipment uh, that, that 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 you have for them. Yeah. Thank you. Well, first of all, Jamie, thanks for the invite. It's uh, it's great to be on and. It's kind of the full circle to come back and talk about football in Scotland, isn't it? It's like if you ever go to the US, you know, and they say, oh, listen, the NFL is incredibly popular, not just in Scotland, but across Europe. Uh, you know, they always say, is that right? You know, is, does Scotland have a, you know, a, a football team? And I think they always go back to talking about the Claymores and yeah. the days when you had the European League and whatever, where there was a couple of rugby players involved in that. Gavin Hastings kicked for them and Gary Parker. The ex Hearts footballer kicked for them as well, so there was always that link. But no, I think to to kind of cut a long story short, I I was coaching the Springboks in twenty sixteen, uh, sorry twenty fifteen, and it was a semi final. We were going to play the New Zealand uh, in the semi final of the World Cup, and I got a phone call to my hotel room, well to my mobile phone, from a a guy called Wayne Diesel, great name. Uh, who was the head of performance at Miami. I'd known Wayne about 10 or 15 years beforehand. He was a physiotherapist in South Africa. And then he'd gone into high performance. And obviously they'd been looking at all the stats and percentages as the US sporting fraternity do, you know, religiously. And saw the percentages and stats and sort of turnovers and tackles and whatever. And I think Wayne must have thought, oh, I know, I know that guy, you know. So he phoned me. They asked me to come across to the Dolphins for a week to work with all the defensive coaches, which I did. And then typical NFL, you know, at the end of the week, you get called into the office, what are you doing for the rest of the year? And I said, well, to be honest, I'm just coming to the end of the contract with the Springboks. I was just about to start working with Scotland. 
they said, would you like to come in once a month, you know, for maybe a week and just continue kind of putting tackle programs together and working with the linebackers. So I did that for a year. It was phenomenal, you know, and it gave me a real sort of, I've always enjoyed football. I've always enjoyed watching it. I can remember Sunday nights, Channel 4, Dan Marino, Joe yeah. Theismann, the Fridge, Mike Ditka <laughs> and the Chicago Bears and, you know, that era. So it was just fantastic to be involved in. And I, w- I worked with some really good people there, uh, you know, who really helped you out and knew that, you know, you maybe didn't know the intricacies of the game as much as they did, obviously. But within a year, you know, they pretty much schooled you up to understand, especially defensively, what was mm-hmm. going on, because it's which is more my sort of passion in tackle and defence. Uh, and at that time, there was two performance coaches there. Dave Paloka, who's still at Miami, he's the longest-serving performance coach in the NFL, I think now. And Ted Rath, who went on to the Rams. Uh, with Sean McVeigh, and then obviously came to the Eagles. So he's the performance director at the Eagles, and that's really where it all came about. I was invited in. He said, "What are you doing?" You know, it was in and around the draft. Actually, they just signed Jalen Hurts for about two hundred and fifty million dollars, and they said, "Would you mind coming up for a couple of days?" Predominantly, I worked with a defensive group uh, to look at all their tackle technique, how they were training it, what they were implementing into the off season, and then into season. And then obviously, because the building knew I was coming, Jeff Stoutland, who's legendary O-line coach at the Eagles, said, listen, would you like to come and spend a day with the O-line as well? The offensive room, we want to show you a play, you know, uh, and we want your opinion on how you would make it better or how you would break it. And that's really where it all came about. And nobody would have known until uh, obviously the Kelsey brothers have this podcast that goes out to about a couple of million people. And they started talking about this Scottish guy that came in and, you know, the world of sports, tiny. And all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls to guys that I know well in the US saying, hey, this Scottish guy, there's only one we know. Have you been into the Eagles over the summer? Because <laughs> uh, all of a sudden all chaos has ensued in this league with this play. So it's been really funny. It has. It's been interesting to be involved the whole thing. So obviously we're, we're talking about the the brotherly shove or the the tush push. I prefer brotherly shove. I think I I, I love that. Yeah, name it's got a it. number. It's got a number of names now, Jamie. I think, <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, it's a uh, you know, it, it's a QB sneak which has been around yeah. for a while. You know, it's not it's not a new play, but the Eagles are just you know the best at it. It's simple as that, really. When you when you saw it, this is essentially a play that that, that gains one two yards at a time. It, it, it's not the sort of thing you would expect to be dominating headlines, dominating discourse around a sport. Um, when you saw it, could you have possibly realised how big of a uh, attention and almost a storm around the legalities of it and and everything that we were going to have? It's funny because you know all of a sudden when it came out, and I've been watching this from afar over the last two or three months, just sitting back here in my house in Gala Shields. You know, I'm in this sort of bunker here because I've got all my analysis and I do all my work from here. And I'm sitting here just sort of smiling at it every weekend thinking, you know, this is quite funny. But it started to get this terminology that it was a rugby play. Mm-hmm. And I think people had put two and two together and thought, right, Richie Gray, rugby coach, rugby play. But actually... You know, I suppose you could say you're a football coach as well. I've been involved in the NFL since 2016, so I know the game very well, especially certain areas of it. But it is nowhere near a rugby play. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the incredible thing about it. It seems to have been given this name 
as you know, it's a rugby play scrum or a mall, you know. Well, you know, a scrum is pre-bound and it's also called in by the referee. So you cannot set and come together until the referee tells you to join, obviously. The mall is, again, a far different type of connection and it also takes seconds to create them all. It doesn't just happen. You've got to build it up. So the brotherly shove or the QB sneak or the touch push or whatever you want to call it is, is a completely different, it's a football play. It's it's nothing to do with rugby at all. And I think that's where over the last couple of days, I've been speaking to a lot of the American journalists that, you know, guys, this is a football play. It's been in football for a while. Any team can do it. And any team can perfect it. It just so happens that the Eagles are the best at it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not, and we've seen it's not an easy play to perfect because we've seen a, a few teams try it now. I'm a Giants fan. The first time yeah. they tried it, not only did it not work, but it injured two of their offensive linemen. So, yeah, you know, it, yeah, there's a yeah. lot going on there that, that can go wrong. Um, yeah. But the, the, it's almost like I think it's almost like a professional jealousy of it now. It's so difficult to stop. People are going, "Well, well it can't possibly be legal." Yeah. But uh, you look at the rules. There's there's really nothing in there that, that that should prevent this from being played. No, it's uh, at the end of the day, you're spot on, Jamie. Every single team can use it. Uh, every single team can defend against it. So it's an open play for everyone to use. I think when uh, the Eagles played the Commanders two weeks ago was an absolute classic because. Obviously, on their first attempt, it failed because uh, Jalen Hurts fumbled the ball. Hmm. And then on the second attempt that they did it later on in the game, they actually run a decoy off it. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it was like the absolute mind blow for every defensive coordinator in the NFL because they're thinking, <laughs> oh, no, all of a sudden now they're running plays off of this. So you're thinking, do we put all our players in against this to stop the actual yard or two-yard advantage? Or do we now keep our eyes open to what might happen on the outside? Well, if you do that, you're going to leave a weakness in the middle. So it's just about close to the perfect play on both sides. You can use it as a decoy or you can use it to gain that extra one or two yards. But I've always said the Eagles do it the best, mainly in my opinion, because of four things. One, they've got a world-class O-line coach in Jeff Stoutland. Two, they've got world-class personnel. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, the players that they have within that system. Then after that, in football, action will always beat reaction. It's the same in, in rugby, so they're both similar there. Uh, and then the final thing is the Eagles technically and tactically are better than everybody else, and the percentages don't lie. And as you said, the Giants tried it a couple of weeks ago, and I actually heard through the kind of football grapevine that they'd only really practised it in unopposed walkthrough. Well, mm. You have to do more than that, you know. So each player within that play has to be incredibly technically accurate and then it has to work together. And it's the great quote, you know, I came out with it. When they told me this, how would you break this? And eventually after looking at it and analysing the life out of the thing, I said it is incredibly difficult to stop organised mass. And, and that's exactly what it is. So it's an open play for everyone to try. It just so happens the Eagles do it better than anybody else. Brilliant. We... We hear about the, the the amount of dedication that these players have to put in both on the training field and then the amount of the amount of tape that they go through, the, the length of time that they spend in the facility yeah. um feels incredible. How how do you find them 
players generally? How receptive are they? How do you find them to work with compared to yeah. the players that you that you come across? Yeah, I'm I'm lucky because obviously I've worked I've worked at the highest level in in both the sports. You know, obviously NFL since 2016, but rugby union pretty much from the day it went professional. You know, so I've been involved in it 20 years plus as a coach, and you find at that level, I always used to say. If I ever went up to a player or a coach and said, listen, if I can make you 1% better, will you listen to what I've got to say to you? You know, mm-hmm. And every single one of these players mm-hmm. want to get 1% better. Uh, you know, I had uh, I had a player come to me in Miami about two years ago called Christian Wilkins, mm-hmm. who came up to me in the summer and said, listen, I want to be the best tackler in the NFL. Simple as that. And you could tell, sometimes you just come up against guys that you know it's like a burning desire in them and I know they talk about the money and the huge salaries, but deep, deep down, they're still competitive animals mm. that, that want to be technically and tactically the best on the planet, you know, and they're driven. And so are the rugby fraternity as well, you know. You know, I was lucky enough to coach South Africa, your Eben Etzebeths, your Cheslin Colbys, all these players want to get better. So I remember Christian, you know, came up to me, so we... I kind of used it and we created an off-season programme for him that kept him away from live tackling and we did it all on training aids. Yeah. And we've now done it over two years. And and last year, he broke the NFL tackle record for his position. And one of the big things he attributed to two was what he'd done in the off-season. Because as you know, the guys finish in January, February, if you're not in the Super Bowl, a lot of them will not tackle live again until July. So I always equate it to a golfer. You know, you imagine going into a major and you've never driven a ball than any iron player gone on the putting green for six months, you're going to be in a bit of a mess when you go to the major. So there's so many different aspects, but both players, as in wanting to get better from both sports, are, are identical, you know. They just want to be the best. The thing in America is, as you know, Jamie, the competition is absolutely incredible and that's what blew me away I'd be in a room and then the next day there'd be a player missing and say, where's, you know, where's player X? Or oh, he's been cut. Yeah. <laughs> and there's another guy who's in his place, you know, and the, you know, you know the story how it works in the NFL. They cut you in the evening at night because all your equipment's left in the building. Uh-huh. So there's no sort of emotion in it at all. Yeah. This guy's on a flight and he's gone and there's somebody else been brought in the next day. And it's the same for coaches. So if you're not cutting it, you know, already we've seen the Raiders uh, move their head coach on and their, their kind of general manager. So it is absolutely cutthroat, but they're all used to it. That's yeah. what they've been in for years. So you just want to be the best you can be, simple as that. And any way you can get a 1% advantage, these guys will will go full on for that. We know that there's a, a huge interest from, from rugby players, from coaches. You know, Gregor Townsend's a massive NFL fan. A lot of the players watch it as well. How close together can these two sports come in terms of learning, in terms of the the, the things that that, uh, that they can take out of each sport to make each other better? Yeah, I think, you know, I've always enjoyed watching any type of sport. You know, I always remember, you know, even speaking to kind of an Olympic canoe coach who always talked about going for the line of least resistance in the white water. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, okay, you could use that in tracking and tackling, you know, the lines of least resistance. And you'll always pick up words and little things that other sports are doing 
the the key though is bringing them back and implementing your sport and not copying it. You know, mm-hmm. I I hate when I hear coaches go away and say, "Oh, we've taken everything that this group have done and we're going to implement it completely." The bottom line is, you know, if I'm looking at Scotland, we're Scottish, right? We've got a Scottish culture. We are different to everyone else, just as the French are different to us, the Fijians are different to us. So you've got to take what you see, but then the key is bringing it back to your own sport, your own country, and tweaking it slightly for the players and the style of play that you want to play. But there's always crossover in every sport. And I think rugby can learn a lot from football uh, just in the way they organise themselves daily. It's an Mm. absolute show. You know, there's 100 people to look after pretty much every day. And the O-line, the D-line, the different breakout rooms, the number of coaches they have per group, it's fascinating to me. It really is. And I've always said football is like human chess played at 100 miles an hour by the biggest, fastest, you know, fittest humans on the planet. And it's incredible. It's all over in five seconds, you know. It's just an explosion. So, no, there's definitely things you can take out of both sports. I think possibly the key one is tackling, funnily enough, you know, because we both are in sports where we gain momentum and stop momentum. We have to stop a ball carrier as quickly as we can. Obviously, in football, the play finishes. In rugby, the play continues. But, you know, there's a lot can be taken there. But apart from that, I've always said rugby's rugby, football's football. On the whole, they're incredibly different sports. Yeah. In your in your specialism, you obviously have a, a, a keen interest in, in concussions and how we reduce concussions in these big yeah. impact sports. Um have you seen attitudes changed and how you know how much work is going into it to making sure that we can minimise what's become a, a real a real issue in in in, uh, in the NFL and rugby and as I say in these sports where you have big men colliding and, and and changes of direction changes of pace so so close to the contact area. Yeah, I think it's you know <laughs> why did I get into what I'm doing? You know, I was coaching 15, 20 years ago, just the same as anybody else was, and we possibly weren't doing it in the right way, but we just didn't know any different then you know and I think of the way I was coached it was full on bone on bone every session we didn't have any training aids and bits and pieces like that he just went live you know yeah. and that's what we came through and we didn't know any different so mm. all of a sudden all the science and the medical backup that we have now you know it's we're a lot more aware than we ever were before and I always say this that you know, I do what I do because I love contact and collision sport. I've been brought up in it. I want it to remain. But we also have to make sure that we make that contact and collision sport the safest it can be without taking away the essence of the sport, you know. And the bottom line is, and I say this to everybody, there's still a choice to make on crossing the white line to play. It's up to you, you know. But it's a lot easier to do it, even as a parent, I've got two children, where I know that the sport is going out of its way to make it as safe as possible. And to be honest, both the sports are safer than they've ever been now with everything that's around. And that will only get better because, you know, there'll be new scientific things will come out that will tell us we should be doing this, doing that. If you look at instrumental mouth guards at the moment, they are now coming in the different ways that we test. But the key actually is how we prepare. 
that's where most of the challenges are because of the impacts. Yeah. It's about it's about numbers of impacts. So those impacts used to happen historically within training, more than the game, funnily enough. So that's where it's key, and that's where I think the whole training aids have become huge in the last five, ten years to how we get our players through the week to being fit and healthy on the on the game day and then obviously retiring from the sport and you know enjoying the rest of their life. But I know rugby and football always gets put in the spotlight, but there are many, many contact collision sports. You know, you think of the number of injuries where youngsters are throwing themselves down a hill on a mountain bike or yeah. you know everything else. There's there's a number of contact collision sports and we're all in the same boat that we've got to leave no stone unturned to make the games as safe as we can make them, definitely. And that's why we do what we do, you know? Yeah, absolutely, Richie. Well, before we let you go, I wonder, are you, how much are you enjoying this season? You you get to see kind of <laughs> under the bonnet, you get to see the nuts and bolts of, uh, yeah. of NFL. Do you still enjoy sitting down and watching on a Sunday and what have you made yeah. of this season? Yeah, I do. So... You know, there's some interest. I think that it's funny because I've been heavily linked to the Dolphins for years through the performance department. So, you know, I like the way that they have come on. Like yeah. Tyreek Hill and, you know, Jalen Waddell and Tua have really become a phenomenal sort of triangle. Yeah. Very, And there's others that are very difficult to stop offensively. Defensively too, I think, uh, you know, Wilkins, Zach Sealer and these guys are, are playing well at the moment. And then on the other hand, you've got the Eagles, you know, up north. And, and they're going well too. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on both of those sides. And, you know, there's obviously, you get a couple of games. I try to watch a couple of games if I can, but I've also got Toulon that I'm heavily involved with too. And we can play over a weekend. So it's quite a good break for me because I can just switch off from rugby and I can just watch NFL for two or three hours, you know. And I thoroughly enjoy it. It's just, it to- and it's funny you said in the programme earlier that you ever pick anything up and I'll maybe see a movement or a, a bit of skill from a player that I think, you know what, we could that player that I've got at Toulon could do that. Yeah. And we can do the movement. So you're always looking and you're always trying to improve. But no, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm just, you know, it was a real honour, first of all, to be invited into the, the Eagles facility. It's a world class facility mm. with and you can tell why they're where they are, because you know, Nick Serrani, head coach. The front office are excellent. They've just got coaches that all want to get better every day, you know, and there's a real sort of professional drive in that building. So you can see how, you know, they are how they are and good people. Uh, and, you know, I may well be back and forward a few times. So I go back in January, the AFCA, big conferences on. So I'll be with Riddell then and I'll be jumping into a couple of NFL franchises when I'm across there as well to see people. So, Always busy, Jamie. Always busy. <laughs> Always busy, Richie. Fantastic. Well, I think you'll you'll be waiting for your call from uh, Jason and Travis to have you on their podcast next. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they may really understand me. I'm saying that I heard. Uh, I heard uh, Jason Kelsey's Scottish accent, which you know was was. I had a hard time a laugh at that, and that's I think when it kicked off. Was yeah. after that, it's just gone through the roof, and you know, you know what the US is like. They've got such huge followings. Oh, yeah. These guys and. You know, they both come over as they've done a great job, I think, because they've kind of brought a bit of humour and you know, they're just they're they're great for the sport, aren't they? And the promotion of it. And Alison, uh, I'm sure we'll catch up one day. 
Yeah, we love it. We love that connection that the players are bringing to, to the fans as well. Richie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining no us on the Stramash, the Scottish NFL podcast. Perfect, Jamie. Thank you for having me on. and I'm sure I'll be back again in the future. Thank you. Fascinating content there from Richie Gray. For us, though, we asked a question to bring it back to nonsense because that's what this podcast is all about. What would you call the tush push if it was your team that was doing it? So what we're going to do here is read out some of these. I'm going to do my absolute very best to, to try to do this as best I can. So not everyone's put forward. I mean, some of them will be obvious who the team is. Uh, Mark McEwen, his is the Mall of Miami, which I think is pretty good. Um, I think I've been to the Mall in Miami. There's the there's loads the, of shops, loads of shops. Is it called the Mall of Miami? Is it must be, must be. As a Bears fan, it would be called Turnover on Downs. That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like that. Like that. The uh, Paddy Kelly said that in the Vegas Spirit, the dealers push. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Stephen Bryson says the Renegade Rush. Kenny's Can Can, or the Girder Hurdler. Which is That's not good. that easy what? to say. Gerder Hurdler. Gerder Hurdle. Gerder. Gerder Hurdler. It's good apart from the fact it's very difficult to say. Yes. No, com- no commentators getting behind that. They're just not. The uh, Phil puts forward for the Bills, the Winged Wedge, or the Buffalo Butt Plug. Not sure that that one would uh, get past the censors. Kenny Law suggests for the Packers, the bum scrum. Brian Dando for the Niners says the Brock cock block. That's not easy to say. Kieran Vance gives for the Detroit Lions, the Motown mush. The Jerry Choke for the Cowboys says Andrew Neal. The Cowboys stampede is put forward by Lorne. The Cowboys crash bang, which comes from Sarah Taylor. I will have to mute this after or bleep it out, but I'm going to read it out here anyway. Reese Nunes says that Watson and Wentz, whoever they played for, could share the same. It could be called the Scum Scrum, uh, the complete fuck rock that propel the bell end, or the <laughs> shunt. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking Bleep. forward to bleeping that one out. People have got too much time on their hands. Goodness they me. They do. Um, the Jason Hoffman puts forward the, the bell's but buff, or probably more likely the Josh Allen fumbled arse. Um, and there you go. But there's a couple here put forward. Uh, Paul Marty's put forward a couple of teams. For the Rams, he says the battering ram. For the Chargers, he says the bolt jolt. The Niners could be the gold rush. Oh, I like that. The Panthers could be the Panther plunge. There you go. And then the Cardinals would be the bums rush is the last one put forward. Some excellent ideas there. Some excellent yeah. ideas there. Before we get onto a couple of rants, and I'll do that very quickly, there's one other question that we asked on the forum this week, which goes back to an episode we did two weeks ago, and it was simply, does Paul Mitchell look like Crawford Allen? The, the results of that one come in as two people say no, seven people say yes, and ten people say, who's Paul Mitchell? So <laughs> I think that's conclusive. <laughs> I'm with the last group. <laughs> this is... Uh... Paul is not fair and well in polls because when Deshaun Watson 
didn't play the other week, we asked the Patreons, was that Deshaun Watson being benched? And does Paul owe me a burger? And overwhelmingly, the Patreon group, which we've decided, I've decided on Rogue, uh, if there is any ever any debate about a burger bet, we asked the Patreons. Another good reason to sign up. Yep, they're such an so, ass kisser. I think it's I think it's a good benefit to add. You get to cast out the burger. Someone needs to track them, though. I've not been on this, that this, at all. No, hang on. This is the same country that elected Boris Johnson and took us out of Europe, and you're going to the electorate to ask. You must be mad. Not a chance. That's that's insane. Never ask a question. Owner's no veto. To. Oh, my Lord. Um, Democracy is overrated. There we go. The... There's a bit, let's go to the rants. There's a bit of grumbling about the referees this week, which again, oh, this, no. once again, come around, right? We did this two weeks ago as well. But Andrew says, officiating again, a couple of games had loads of flags. It started on Thursday night and felt pedantic. And even though the Cowboys nearly benefited at the end of the Eagles game, Parson never seems to get anything. It's just the inconsistency. I will say their ability to see catches, fumbles, and sideline action in real time, though, is amazing at times. Jason Hoffman has said that the referees have given up any pretense of skill and judgment. Blatant slide tackling lunges that would have been a straight red in the SPFL are not even penalised. It's now intentional grounding on missed passes. Face masks are face masks are arbitrary. Well, maybe we'll call it and maybe we won't penalty. I get that the refs are human and it's a fast-paced game and split-second decisions to be made. But when they call ticky-tacky holding calls that are spotted from 40 yards away but not a tripping penalty on the player with the ball or the Bucks punter taking his helmet off and swinging and connecting with an opposition player and neither are flagged, it just makes the game totally shit. I don't, I, think makes, so I, don't, I don't think it makes the game totally shit, but I do think it is fair to say that there are issues and inconsistencies with officiating. The intentional grounding stuff this season, there's been three, I think, from memory. The Josh Allen one on Sunday night, Lamar had one, and Geno Smith had one earlier in the season. And at all three of those occasions, it's clearly not intentional grounding. It's like a miscommunication or an option route. And uh, Chris Collinsworth said that to Terry Mac- Terry McCauley, I think it was, on Sunday Night Football. Like, I understand why they're saying it's intentional grounding, but fundamentally that is not in the spirit of what that rule is created for. Josh Allen did not throw the ball away. Josh Allen was throwing the ball to a spot that he thought his receiver was going to be, and his receiver's not there. That's not yeah. intentional grounding. No. At which that strikes me as officials not understanding how the game is being played and that or the play the playbook and that leads to a wider discussion about officials and not just in this sport but generally um relying too much on either thought you know n- not not using their their training and relying too much on technology i have a major problem with technology in sport at the moment generally um and i think i think the nfl comes into that there was very interesting case study about there was a couple of games at the weekend whereby there were immediate offsides called um on an offensive line which was I've never seen this before and it happened twice in the Green Bay game and it happened in another game and you're thinking what are they looking for there why would you be calling offsides on a guard it's bizarre and part of the issue I've got generally with High level, high end level performance sport, and I'm talking about NFL, football, rugby. We saw the Rugby World Cup. You see it in cricket. You see it in a lot of sports. Is this obsession with going back and checking monitors and this almost fear of officiating? There needs to be human error 
at high-end sport because that's what creates debate. That's what creates entertainment. And the thing that ruined the Rugby World Cup for me was the fact that we were constantly talking about referees. And the NFL has, for years, almost led the way a little bit on video refs and then the way in which video refereeing should be done and also when it shouldn't be done properly, as in the, the, fatal, the fateful year when uh, the Saints got denied their Super Bowl appearance <laughs> for the flags. But I would just love to see governing bodies go back to getting the referees, the individuals, the humans, as good as they possibly can be and just rely a bit more on human error yep. and just accept that that's part of the game. I think that's fair. And also, so the NFL, I don't think the NFL has an instant replay problem. I think, I, I don't think I've seen an instant replay call this year that I've been like, oh, that's stupid. They've got that wrong. Like, I think they get instant replay right most of the time in the NFL. Even then, like, you need to allow a little bit of human error there. The offside on the offensive lineman, though, it is, it's players just not lining up correctly. And I, I could be wrong on this, but I think they warn them. So they do... Well, wide receivers for a legal formation, you'll see them line up and they'll look to the side official and the official will give them a nod to say, yes, you are correctly uh, lined up. That's fine. And sometimes they just don't look at the official and they're lined up too far back. They're like covering up the um, player in the end of the line of scrimmage, all that stuff. So or they look and then shift again, which yes. I've seen them do. Like they yes. make a slight adjustment again and you're like, okay. yeah. But alignment doesn't do that. Is, or is it's it bizarre it, that right? it's happened multiple times, and it's these the, are these are not just these aren't rookies who are doing no, it. These are it's, it's because crackdown. so it's because of Joanne Taylor of the Chiefs. So he there was this whole debate on whether or not he was false starting, and it happened when he was in Jacksonville, and then it then was at the start of this season, and it's not he doesn't he doesn't actually false start. But what he was doing was he was lining up illegally a lot of the time. So mm. then they started calling that, and that then meant they had to start calling it on other players as well. It's not happening as much now. It was something that happened at the start of the year, and they've kind of tightened up on. But it is something whereby, like, if you look at offense, look at offensive tackles every week, and you will see there are offensive tackles who do like they do cheat a little bit in their stance. They are they have to be their helmet has to be in line with the center or the ball or something like that it can't be in the neutral zone yeah uh but the, but the mm. but they can't be too far back as well like it has i think their their helmet has to be in line with the center's back heel or the center's i, I can't remember quite which one it is but there's that that is the rule they have to be lined up uh, yeah and, and i just think that line up further back. i think referees should be frankly looking for things other than that that is slowing the game yeah. down I mean, I, th I think if, they should be looking for stuff that goes on off the ball, which you but, never see. But if they don't look for that, though, then offensive linemen just continue to cheat, and basically, it's impossible. But then look at scrums. I mean, I, I, you flip, 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 flip. You know, all the shit that's going on about scrums in rugby, and they're not even putting the ball in straight into the scrum in the first place. So there's some things that are cheating, fine, and there's some things that are people are taking a bit of liberty on, and there's. At times, you just got to pick your poison and actually think yeah. about the things, surely, as a referee, that are going to have a bigger impact on the game rather than half an inch forward, back or forth. Yeah. That would be my view on it. And again, it's a consistency thing, right? Because some referees will go, we're cracking down on that today and others won't. And I think that's where it becomes I mean, if it's blatant and he's a yeah. yard offside, fine. But for the sake of six inches... His thumb, his thumb's just oh, over the line yeah, or something. And then yeah. if you're missing a, a holding call on a pass, that's a bigger impact. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Because at the end of the day, you're talking about millimeters here. 
a lot of the Indeed. time. And it's just, I, 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 yeah, I'm going to probably completely lose the plot at some point before the end of the season when I see a video challenge go wrong because there'll be one of these 50 50 marginals in the playoffs or something. Can't wait for it. I'm, I'm all for binning video altogether. I'm, I've had it. <laughs> So there is a lengthy rant from a Bills fan. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it out in its entirety. I, at that and point, will... I'm leaving because I no, can't no. bother listening to this. I will do it later. I'll do it afterwards. It'll be a post-credit thing. Stick around for it because I'm going to read it out because someone's made the effort to type it all out. I'm going to read it. It'll be a post-credit scene. One of those special Easter eggs like at the end of a Marvel film. So you can marvel at what this uh, Bills fan has got to say. Before you do go, Charles, um, a live event, we've talked about doing one in Edinburgh for a while. We've had a couple of dates in the diary penciled in. We were hoping to try and do one this weekend. Unfortunately, everyone, a part of the team, has basically been given work this weekend, so therefore we couldn't make it stick. We are looking at doing an event at the Golf Tavern, though, on Sunday, the 26th of November. That is the Thanksgiving Sunday. I'm speaking to the golf. I'm going to see if we can do something with Turkey. If nothing else, at least a turkey burger or something. But we're going to put on a bit of an event, get people in Edinburgh together. We've got a bunch of great prizes to give away again. We highly recommend you come along, keep an eye out on social media for that. But before we get to that, we were thinking about meeting this week, the Week 10 highlights for you guys. Obviously, we've got the Toilet Bowl uh, on Thursday Night Football. As the Bears and the Panthers come head-to-head, we get the last of the European games as the Patriots play the Colts. Then we've got some, we've actually got some really tasty games in the early slate this week. I'm going to say Ravens Brown, tasty. I'm going to say Jags Niners, tasty. I'm going to say Vikings Saints is fairly tasty. Uh, Bengals Texans is pretty tasty. Vikings Saints, Vikings Saints is tasty in the same way, like when you're on a diet and you're eating chicken and broccoli and brown <laughs> rice with no additional seasoning and. It's not it, if if you need if you need something if you need football and it's your only option, it, it's going to fulfil you. If you I, I think options, that game's going to be completely bonkers. I think it's going to be fun to you've watch. You've got you've got Josh Dobbs at quarterback making plays up as he goes along. You've got Taysom Hill, the human gadget machine in the backfield. You've got Dennis Allen, Paul's favourite person on the planet, jumping up and down the sidelines. Skull. It's all happening. Uh, there's you no way you can predict what's going to happen in that game. The the late slate's <laughs> a bit shit, though. The only one that's got something about it, really, is the Chargers-Lions. Cardinals-Falcons, will Kyler Murray come back? Maybe. Seahawks-Commanders, maybe a bit of a, a decent game. Hmm. Um, Cowboys-Giants, though, like, obviously, uh, Daniel Jones done for the season. Tommy DeVito to is, is starting, by the way. Even is he? Tommy DeVito is starting. I, I need to be very, very clear about this. I am not watching 10 seconds of Tommy DeVito play quarterback. I value my own sanity too much. <laughs> not if you're a, if you're a Giants fan, don't don't watch, right? Just do something with your life that's going to give you more joy than this. The fact that we have reached the point in the NFL season where Tommy DeVito is starting and a team have just went, yeah, that's fine. It's only halfway through the season. Do you think they're doing it deliberately? Uh I wouldn't like to say. Tanktastic. It, it, it does put them in a stronger position if they start Tommy DeVito the rest of the way. I was listening earlier on uh, this week to uh, another podcast, which will remain nameless, based over in the United States. But 
they said that next year, I think he carries 35 million against the cap, Daniel Jones, and that's the final year of guaranteed money. There's nothing to stop them starting Tommy DeVito and losing every game and finishing two and 15, I think it would be. Yep. Number one pick, bring him in, Daniel Jones for a year, then just let him cut him loose. Yeah. yeah, you can yeah, see it. Indeed. I mean, the, the season's been a complete write-off, and to give Daniel Jones what was it, 150 million, with some of that guarantee, half of that guaranteed, just insane. The thing with half of being insane. guaranteed though is that, like it's only really, like that's only really two years. So they were very much in a position with that contract where it was, look, he was pretty good this past year, and he worked out in this offense. If he continues to do that, this works for us. If he doesn't, we can get out of this pretty quickly. And, and they are, and they the are, latter. they are going to get, they're going to get out of that pretty quickly. They're probably not going to pay Barkley. Um, they'll have a bit of a reset. And Dayball's a good offensive mind. If you gave him Caleb Williams or Drake May, he's probably going to put something together pretty quickly. The coach, the coach must know he's staying, or you wouldn't be playing. No, it's yeah. simple as that. You you must have had a guarantee from upstairs that they're on board with this, because if not, I mean, most coaches are fighting for their job, so he must he must know he's secure. I reckon that as well. Some of the New York Giants fans would have got in touch with the mob um, after or before last weekend, in the hope that you know Tommy DeVito wouldn't be. Tommy DeVito wouldn't be The fact allowed. that you're having to add someone with the surname DeVito, which is tied to <laughs> Danny DeVito, to the list of outtakes of names you've mispronounced is perfect. Thank you. Thank you. There's, there's, who's, who's to say that Tommy DeVito has not got connection to the mob? Hang on. Let me, <laughs> let me land my joke and then we'll move on. <laughs> I reckon some of the Giants fans probably got in touch with the mob before the team left Las Vegas to let them know that Tommy DeVito was in town in the hope that he wouldn't be allowed to leave the state of Nevada either. And that's a four seasons joke if you're not familiar with it. Oh, so I'm, I'm just used to I'm just used to jokes being funny. So that that, that was a little different. <laughs> Go so see the Jersey Boys. It's a brilliant musical. It's I tremendous. love the Jersey Boys. It's I, my favorite. I can't believe you didn't get my Tommy DeVito joke. I did get it. I just didn't think it was funny. I was but funny. Was... Right. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, right. Well, on that Charles note, we're going to come back up. again in uh, late December when yeah, Green Bay might the, win another game. Yeah, that'll be it. Uh, surely. Okay. The that's it. The full time whistle then for this episode. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Please keep the twenty sixth of November free and come and join us in Edinburgh. Keep an eye out for tickets. The information will be available very soon. I think we should have a prize for the best. Um... Shove one. I think Bolt Jolt or or uh, was we, probably we my favourite. Gold Rush. That's a great prompt. We do need to do the competition. Yeah. Um. Tell you what, Paul. You can. Be, I'll let you pick the best of the ones, and I'll put forward. Um. Garden a number between one and twenty. Twenty. Uh. Congratulations to Paul Marnie, who wins a bottle of Loch Lomond whiskey and. Two tumblers. For anyone listening to this that's one as well, I've been in LA for a couple of weeks and I'm way behind on my admin. We will get all the prizes sent out in the next week. I apologize. Life admin has been all over the place. So yes, fine. Uh, right, okay. So you liked the Bolt Jolt. The Bolt Jolt or or the Gold Rush. They were the Gold yeah, Rush were good. Gold Rush, Gold Rush was my favorite. Okay. 
Um, was there any others in there? I did like the turnover on Downs suggestion from the Bears oh, fan. Yeah. That was good I thought it was very funny as well. Do you know what? Shall we let... Um, because I don't think I said who said what for the, I can't remember. Maybe we'll let the uh, Patreons pick a winner. Let's do a I survey. Like In fact, I'm going to do a survey right now before they've even heard this podcast. And then what I'll do is I'll announce the winner um, as, as a certain cutoff point and I'll put it on social media and we'll talk about it in next week's podcast. There we go. So the three that were taken into are the Bears turnover on downs, the gold rush and the bolt jolt. Yes, I like that. Tell you what I need with this, though, is I need a commentator for another team to line up to do it, someone to say brotherly shove and the co-commentator to correct them in the whole, like, I've said this before, like, the it's it's only champagne if it's from the champagne region of France. So correct them. It's only the brotherly shove in the Pennsylvania region. Anywhere else it's called the gold rush or it's called this. That's what we need a commentator to do. Let's get Kevin Harlan involved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send all three to Kevin Harlan. I think I'm going to send all that. I don't think we'll get him to do the Bears turnover and downs, although he is connected to Green Bay, so you never know. Don't worry, um, you'll get him to do the Sean Watson and... Uh, no, I, no, I need to remember to edit that one out as well. Not edit it, just bleep. You'll get the idea. Right, thanks for taking the time to listen. This is the full-time whistle. We went into overtime there. Uh, tickets available soon. Follow us on social media. Join our Patreons. Join our WhatsApp group. Really, you're supporting the podcast. You're getting in the WhatsApp group. Lots of chat. People have really enjoyed it. And your ears did not deceive you. We did have Charles Patterson on the podcast tonight. And yes, Green Bay did win last week. Purely coincidental. My thanks to Cameron Hobbs, to Gordon McGuinness. Keep listening for all great stuff that's coming up in our events. Check out our social media. But for Charles, for Gordon, for Cameron and myself, thanks for listening. Bye for now. The Rant from Phil Spears. Yes, I've got something to rant about. The goddamn Buffalo Bills. This won't be read out as it's too long, so I've broken it down into snippets you may pull from. I'm going to read the whole thing, Phil. Overall, I hope to find this exercise cathartic to a degree. After re-watching the game, first of all, why did you do that? Some all-22 video, so you got some more. And listening to others, my summary, the offense. When we say the offense, I'm pretty convinced that the main problem with the Buffalo Bills moving the ball forwards lies in the six inches between Josh Allen's lugs. Let's look at the Bengals game in isolation. Nine drives. First drive, scripted, quick balls. Some no huddle, spread the ball nicely. The best of Josh. Touchdown. Drive two. More likely to be blamed on Dawkins, not sealing off their three tech with... Cook about to break open with two blockers and Edwards in the secondary. That, but us, in long second and third downs, failing pass attempts, punt. Drive three. Josh Allen, C. Davis one-on-one with Britt Taylor pre-snap, doesn't even look anywhere else post-snap, just fancies that matchup. Fair enough. However, completely underthrows it for a pick. If he would have looked right, digs open, Cook open with a blocker in Kincaid, who was also open. Shakir has blown his cover, but no, Josh wanted the pretty ball into tight coverage. Turnover. Drive four. Another Allen fuck-up. Third and two. Zone coverage. Two linebackers spying. Kincaid gets between the covers. Cook open again. Josh looks at both, doesn't pull the trigger, waits a little longer. Sack. Then a poor punt. Basic quarterback play. Year six, these decisions should not be an issue anymore. Just take the simple pass, get the two yards, new set of downs, carry on, but nah, I want the big plays. 
Result, shite punt. Drive five and six ended with the most bizarre intentional grounding on an RPO call I've seen in 34 years and the face mask of the intended catcher in the red zone, but alas, no real fuck-ups from our players. Drive seven, third and six, again, piss-poor QB play. Simple three-step kind, both Kincaid and Diggs open. Josh only looks to Shakir and Davis, fails to go through the progressions again, end of drive due to piss-poor decisions. Again, appreciate easier for me to see from my sofa, but I'm also not a quarter billion pound quarterback drive eight Kincaid fumble from an excellent punch out from Pratt kudos drive nine see drive one don't get me wrong I love Josh Allen he's the best quarterback we've likely ever had but he seems in his head this year nearly all the good stuff we produce is also his doing there are more times than there should be where he reverts to his rookie mistakes not developing or learning as you would like to see you can see he is the bull that wants to lead the herd, but is unsure if he should. Other rants. Why did McDermott play nearly 40% blitz against Joey Coolborough? That's never going to work well. Perhaps it's just down to the personnel that we have left on defense. Again, he loves to let teams march and score in their opening couple of drives so he can work out what they're doing. When your team is struggling to score, mate, maybe scout them a bit better first so we ain't chasing all day. Still at this point, no update on Micah Hyde. How that egregious hit was not picked up at the time is beyond me. The Zebras had a poor night, but shite penalties probably evened out over the game script for both teams. Think the timing of them just really hurt us. Games are not lost due to the refs. Anyway, Monday Night Football to look forward to this upcoming week. Oh joy, another sleep-deprived night. Bills are in need-to-win mode now, given the AFC strength. Cheers for reading. Well, two, I mean, two you things. struggled one, with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done for getting there, because I'd lost the will to live halfway through. <laughs> I, I thought Caleb Williams going to his mum in tears was the worst thing that I'd seen in the last week. But that tops it, I'll tell you. Honest <laughs> to goodness. Oh, That's, Lord. I love the detail, Phil. That's detailed. I'm Beautiful. also I'm going to assume Phil doesn't agree with my assessment that Josh Allen is in the MVP race then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I fucked up a bit in the middle there. I apologise. I was reading that. I did one read through before, but I turned off to practice that for weeks to nail that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy, Phil, we appreciate it. Thank you, everybody that puts these rants in. Uh, I'm going to read more of these big long ones. We might put them in like this. If you've hung around for this, brilliant. Thank you. Drop me a message and let me know that you did so. 